1: coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation.
0: It's time for another edition of the podcast Designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host Tyler and I've got my co-host Curtis back here with me today to talk the coaching carousel that We have very much been a part of this offseason with a number of on-field coaching departures and additions, and look guys, I know we didn't finish our 2022 recruiting class deep dive last week, and the plan was to do that today, but with Matt Luke, offensive line coach Matt Luke, now becoming the latest coach from the 2021 National Championship staff to bid adieu, we figured it was time to finally address all of the coaching developments that have transpired over the past couple of weeks. We then put it off just hoping that it would all kind of take care of itself relatively quickly, and then, we would, and then we would all cover it at once. And I guess now is that time. We already discussed the Hankton departure, and then of course the B. Mac addition. We've talked about that on the show. We did that when all that went down a few weeks back. But outside of that, we haven't had a chance to discuss any of the other positions. We haven't talked about the DB coaching job, outside linebacker, and now offensive line coaching change. And at this point, it's all starting to stack up and we're getting a lot of questions about it. We have been for a couple of weeks now. So that's going to be the focus of today's episode. That seems to be where all the attention is focused right now. And we want to make sure to give you guys our take on all those changes. And depending on how long the conversation goes today, we'll try to get to part two of the deep dive at the end of the show. But, I don't know, the whole point of pushing that episode back was to have enough time to actually do a deep dive and give each player his just due. We wanted to try to do all the players in one episode, and we were going so deep on the first half of the players that we didn't really come close to having enough time to get to the rest of the guys. So we were just going to give them their own episode and the whole point of that, again, was so that we could really actually do a deep dive. Give those players their just due. So we'll just see. We'll see how much time we have at the end of the show. Curtis has a finite amount of time with his schedule today to spend recording. So if we don't have time, we're not going to rush it. We're not going to rush it. We'll just push it back to next week. And I uh, hope you guys understand that. We want to make sure to cover the more topical news here today. Because recruiting stuff, I mean, that's something we can push back a week or two if we need to. Because it's just not as... Urgent of a conversation, I guess, is what I would say. But all right, Curtis, we've got some more football coaching staff changes to discuss. So let's not waste any more time, man. Let's jump right in. As I said at the outset of the show, we already know that Cortez Hankton, he's gone. He's gone to LSU. We've already replaced him with Brian McClendon in his second stint here now on staff. We've already discussed that. So we'll kind of skip past that today, but we're going to get to the stuff that we haven't discussed. And the first guy here, I believe he was hired before the other ones, is Chadira Uzo Deribe. I think I'm saying that correctly. Don't 100% quote me on that. I haven't officially heard that pronounced yet. So I'm going to go with that until I hear otherwise. But someone can, I'm sure someone can correct me if I'm wrong out there. But Uzo Deribe has replaced Dan Lanning as our outside linebacker coach. He was a graduate assistant at Colorado. He actually played at Colorado, I think he was there when we lost to them in boulder back in 2010 yeah i'm looking at it right now he was actually a freshman that season so he didn't really play that much but he was on that team so i'm gonna try not to hold that against him that was a that was a tough one to handle going all the way to the west coast a fun trip but then it kind of sucked the way that not kind of totally sucked the way that that went down we blew the game caleb king just foaming the ball away at the end there when i thought we had a chance to win but whatever not bitter right when he played at Colorado. He was a grad assistant at Colorado. He spent a year with the 49ers in the NFL as part of the Diversity Coaching Fellowship Program was two years at Kansas as an on-field coach. Last year, he was at SMU. He got a job at TCU coming into this year, earlier in the offseason, but obviously, he couldn't pass up the Georgia offer, and now he is here in Athens at the ripe young age of 29 years old, so he's now on staff. Then, Jamil, Jamila Die, who was here for one year, got him from West Virginia, Spent one year here, helped lead us to a national title. He's gone. He's at Miami now, and he has been replaced by Fran Brown, most recently of Rutgers. Brown's still young, a little bit older than Uzo Deribe. He's 40 years old, but still a young guy. Played at Western Carolina. He is a Matt Rule protege. He played under Matt Rule at Western Carolina, followed Matt Rule to Temple, followed Matt Rule to Baylor, where he was assistant head coach, DB coach. Uh, then went to Temple, back to Temple as a co DC and most recently was at Rutgers as their defensive back coach, and now news hit over the weekend that offensive line coach Matt Luke is the latest coach to leave the staff following the 2021 national title, but Curtis, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I hadn't heard really anything about Matt Luke leaving. We had heard some rumors really going back to last year about Cortez Hankton potentially looking elsewhere or maybe encouraged to look elsewhere. As the season wore on, we started to hear some more and more rumors about a die potentially moving on after this season. And obviously, we knew that it was a realistic possibility, a very realistic possibility, that Dan Lanning would be moving on for different reasons, getting a head coaching job, a big-time Power 5 head coaching job. But I had heard nothing really about Matt Liu. No whisperings of any kind here around town. Had you heard anything?
2: No. Um, it's weird that you've heard that apparently this has been in the works for a couple weeks now because this was the first at least I had heard of it.
0: Had no idea. And, and I'm, not, I'm not like dialed into the program. I'm not going to sit here and say that. But, I mean, I live in Athens. I know a few people. I hear some things now and then. I had heard nothing of that sort. And, like you said, especially considering the fact that apparently this has been in the works for a couple of weeks, I had no clue. I will say Kirby's gotten really good. Uh, he's gotten better about tightening up the circle of who knows these things. So it's just harder to get any kind of information coming out of that football building. But... It is what it is, and obviously Matt Luke is now. I mean, he's not a part of the staff; he's moved on. We'll see uh, if maybe he stays around and he's a part of the program in some capacity, just not in as demanding of a position as an on-field coaching spot is. What I've been hearing is that at least the plan right now for him. Of course, this is always subject to change, but at least for the time being, his family is going to stay in the Athens area. So there's always the possibility that he could stay on the staff in in some lesser capacity, a less demanding capacity. But now he's gone. We know that he is the latest coach to lead the staff. There's some coaching turnover, Curtis. I mean, more so, I think, than Kirby's experience in any one offseason. We've had guys leave and guys move on. But I don't know if we've had, I mean, I'm trying to think, Curtis. If we had this number of guys move on in one offseason?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, realistically, you know it's coming when you're having a good team, which is unfortunate Um, because it feels like that's what Saban's realistically had to deal with every year. You know, they're coming to poaching his people. Right. Now, Matt Luke is definitely a different animal because he is not exactly being poached as much as he's just leaving.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to that here in a second. We'll talk about each of these coaches individually. I want to look at the big picture, here, Curtis. So I, this is not unprecedented staff turnover. I mean, that, that would certainly be a strong statement to make, and that's not the case. I think maybe it's unprecedented in the Kirby Smart tenure, but you mentioned Alabama. This has happened for top programs, especially after they went at a high level because their coaches become attractive. But at the same time, this is a lot of turnover, Curtis. We have a lot of new faces here in Athens with this program, and there's got to be at least some sort of learning curve and some sort of adjustment period with this number of new guys that have come into our program. I mean, it's like really uh, we'll see who gets hired with Matt Luke. We don't know. I mean, Mac has ties to Georgia, but has not really worked for, with Kirby smart. He has no ties directly to Kirby smart. Obviously he's worked with will Muschamp. champ. I guess you say that's some sort of a tie there, but there are always those rumors back when Kirby got the job. Why didn't B Mac stay on that? There was some sort of tension between those two that went back to the recruiting trail. We've talked about that a little bit, but there's certainly going to be some sort of adjustment period period here with these new coaches. So, how big of an issue is this, Curtis, for us moving forward into the 2022 football season? I don't think it's a big
2: issue. Um, the recruiting part will come. But realistically, when you're talking about the coaching part, I mean, laning will hurt, yes. But a lot of it, um, you know, a lot of us disagreed with Hankton's philosophy, especially the way he rotated players. So I think at certain positions, there is, it's not the worst thing ever that what we're going to see um, realistically. Um, but, yeah, there'll be a learning curve. But the fact is, I think with how demanding Kirby is of coaches that – and the way he's hands-on, especially like – I mean, I know you have had um, McClendon on the wide receiver position and whoever he hires on the off- uh, um, the O-line position. But on the defensive side of the ball, I'm not really as scared because you have Kirby and Will Muschamp so hands-on. And so, I mean, think about when he hired Dan Lane and the guy had been a coach uh, – on-field coach not very long from Memphis. So, it's not unprecedented realistically and it felt seamless when dan lanning took over
0: how important is continuity to a coaching staff like you hear that word used and thrown around but how important to you is that moving into a new season
2: i think it's really important yes you can't sit here and devalue it but is continuity good when it's not the best i mean outside dan lanning um i mean matt luke's the uh, you know it's not it's unfortunate lose him but like the fact is like continuity is not everything if they're not all up to par with what needs to be done either.
0: And that's what I would say. I would say continuity is certainly important. You cannot discount that. As you said, you can't devalue that. I totally agree with you there. I'd rather have continuity than not have continuity. But as you said, I guess what I the way I would phrase it is I don't think that continuity trumps competence and talent. You know what I mean? Like should we have Kevin? Yeah, I mean Cody think about think about Kirby years?
2: hired Kirby hired, um, James Coley for the continuity, and
0: that was a terrible decision. Yeah, exactly. He hired a good – and Kirby used that as rationale. He literally said, we're doing this partly because of continuity. We have a good thing going right now. We're at a high level. James Coley's been here. We know know him. We know each other. He knows our program. He understands the offense. We have a quarterback returning who trusts Coley. So, continuity, we're going to go with this hire. Clearly did not work out. And that, and I will give Kirby credit. You got to, you got to criticize him for making that hire because that clearly did not work out. And that's one of the few instances of Kirby Smart not nailing a hire on his staff. Because most of these, Curtis, in my opinion, he's flat out nailed. And that's why I I almost trust him implicitly when it comes to these coaching hires. Like, I don't really freak out when coaches leave because I just trust Kirby. I'm not saying he's bad at a thousand. The Coley hire was, I mean, bringing Coley on staff was a great hire. Promoting him to offensive coordinator, not so much. Clearly, we saw how that worked out. But I'll give him credit and say that he saw after one year this is not going to work. Now, you can't just say, hey, Coley, you know, yeah, it was first year. didn't work out that well. Let's keep going because we still want to have that continuity. At some point, you have to get guys in here that have a higher degree of competence, that have more experience, like, oh, I don't know, a Todd Munkin, and have the talent that some of these other guys do not have. And you saw what happened, just case in point. Now that we're talking about James Coley, bring in Todd Munkin, Almost overnight, Curtis. I mean, I know 2020. Obviously, we had you know the pandemic year. We had issues at quarterback, but still, we talked. We spent that, that, that entire season talking about how much respect we have for Todd Munkin and how impressive it was that he was doing what he was doing with what he had to work with week in and week out with all the injuries, all the issues we had in the COVID context, all of that. And obviously we saw what he was able to do this year, even again, despite a lot of injuries that we had to deal with at quarterback, at wide receiver, all the issues that we had to deal with. And he goes out and wins national title. So in that case, clearly like continuity would have been sticking with James Coley, but we didn't go that route. We went with a guy that we felt had a higher degree of competence, more experience, more talent, and it worked out in a big way for us. So that's what I would say. Continuity – it is an important factor, and it should be considered. You can't completely just discount it, but you've also got to go out and get the best of the best. And when you're Georgia, when you're a team that just won national title and is in the thick of the, of the conversation for a national title, basically year in, year out, at least right there, you can get the best of the best. You don't need to settle for something that you think is not up to par, as you said, Curtis, with what we're capable of. So I, I – don't love the fact that we have so much turnover, but I'm open to the idea that maybe we actually have upgraded with these new guys that we've brought into the program.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life
0: with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. And let's go there, Curtis. Let's go ahead and talk about these new guys. Let's talk about each of these hires, first off the departures, and then the new additions at each of these positions. We've gotten a lot of questions about each of these spots, so let's just go ahead and dig right into them. And let's start with our new outside linebacker coach that's going to be replacing Dan Lanning, who of course has moved on to coach the Oregon Ducks. And that guy is Chadira uzo Deribe. Curtis, had you ever heard of this guy prior to his name popping up as a candidate for our job?
2: Absolutely not. Never in my entire life had I heard of him. Think he was a real person, none of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly when I saw the first when I first saw name I was like, "Who in God's earth are we trying to hire now? Like what is happening here?" And so instantly like, I, like most of you, I just got on my computer, started to google him and did my little stalker stuff that I'm able to do now with the internet at our fingertips. And uh, found quite a bit of information on him pretty quickly and just kept digging and digging and digging, trying to find more and more stuff out about him. So, Curtis, now that we've had some time to kind of digest this hire of Uzo Deribe, what do you make of it at this point?
2: I like it. The one thing I've you're seeing with these new hires is you're getting young guys that are – Yeah, while some may say they're unproven, but the one thing is they're hungry to learn. Like, Think about a lot of these coaches. A lot of people wanted some of these already established coaches, which is wonderful theoretically. Yes, but the one thing that's not spoken about is a lot of those guys are looking to hit the road after one year. Um, So now we have someone who realistically, if they do everything that's asked for them, they're not looking to move on very quickly. Um, but I, I see mean, someone totally who's hard. hungry and wanting to learn, kind of like what you saw with Dan Laning when he was originally hired, and even Glenn Schumann.
0: Glenn Schumann, absolutely Glenn Schumann. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up the youth, because, I mean, we're talking about Uzo Deribe right now. We'll talk about Fran Brown in a minute. Uzo Deribe, guys, is 29 years old. The man is not even 30 years old. Fran Brown, a little bit older, but still a young guy. He's 40 years old, just turned 40 relatively recently. So you're right, Curtis. There is this youth movement in the coaching staff, right? I mean, BMAC, he's still a very, very young guy. Like, it seems like he's been around forever because he was here as a very, very, very young coach. And he's been gone for a couple of years, but he's still a really young guy himself. So what do you make of Kirby bringing in these young, new staffers? Is that just coincidence? That they just happen to be the best guys with the job? Or do you think he's specifically targeting younger guys to be a part of this staff?
2: I have to, in my, in my opinion... Um, I think he is just targeting younger guys. The fact is that with all this turnover, you kind of have to you're trying to say, realistically, what can I do to prevent as much turnover as possible year in, year out? Well, one thing is younger guys that kinda still have to, you know, sharpen their teeth, so to speak. The fact is that, like I said, when you go with established people, they're looking for, especially if they're not for a coordinator position. Well, they're wanting to get to coordinator position. So they're thinking, okay, if I come here, does that how that, that's a quicker move to a coordinator position. And so the fact is, they're, he's trying to go with the younger guys who are going to have to cut their teeth for a little bit before they can get to that step up. Whereas, so it's, the turnover is not going to be as extreme year in, year out.
0: And case in point, as you mentioned, Dan Lanning, obviously he's cut his teeth. He's now head coach at a really good power five institution, good for him. And then Glenn Schumann's probably not going to be too far behind him. But they they, they paid their dues and they stuck around. And that kind of continuity helped us eventually get to a national title. So I think that's certainly a big part of it, Curtis. I'm going to ask you this, though, too. How much of this, hiring young coaches like this, bringing those guys into the fold, into this Georgia program, how much of it has to do with recruiting and just the, the calendar that coaches have to follow on the recruiting front?
2: I think it's also a huge thing. I mean, Matt Luke, um, I think one thing that really got him is the, the requirement of coaching under Kirby Smart. That's a big commitment, and it can lead to burnout very easily. And so some of these young guys who are also so desperate to cut their teeth are more willing to do do the things that are needed to you know,
0: recruit and do that grind. You're exactly right, Curtis. Coaching for Kirby Smart is not for the faint of heart. He's very demanding, and it works – because, obviously, we're consistently at the, at the top of, of the country in terms of, of at least competing for national titles. Obviously, this year at the very top of the heap, actually winning the national title. But Kirby demands a lot of his players. He demands a lot of his staff as, as well. And it's not to say Kirby's some jerk that's just hard to work for. It's not that. It's not that he's a bad dude. He's a good guy. He, he respects these guys. He respects their families. I've always heard that Kirby Smart a, a really good coach to work for but he's just demanding. And that, in a lot of ways, is a good thing for a young coach. That helps bring the best out of you. It helps you develop as a young coach. And Kirby's big into that, helping his coaches develop. So, I mean, That makes it attractive for some of these coaches, some of these young guys. Obviously, you're going to compete at the highest level at Georgia. You have a ton of resources. You have this great brand. You can go out and recruit. You're going to work with better talent than probably where you were working. But you also have this guy who's committed to developing. He also placed coaches in high jobs. I mean, Dan Lanning, still a very young guy, just got a big-time Power 5 job, as we said, at Oregon, but I think recruiting is a big part of this. Because Curtis, we talk so often about Kirby Smart and the emphasis he puts on recruiting. And for a long time, people use that as an insult. Rivals use that as kind of an invective against Kirby. Always oh, a great recruiter, but he can't coach. That's been his MO going back to his days at Alabama, going back to his days here at Georgia when he was a running backs coach for a year, back when he was with Saban at LSU. This guy has cut his teeth as yes, he was a coordinator, defensive guy, but also as just an elite recruiter, as elite as it gets on that front. And he knows the grind it takes. He has said it so many times, as we've talked about on this show so many times, about how much of a premium Kirby puts on talent, that it's hard to out-coach talent. He says that all the time. He understands to continue to win at a high level, to sustain that, to not just win one national title, but piece it together and become some sort of dynasty like Alabama, you've got to consistently have the best players. You can't just relax. And recruiting with the calendar has become a young man's game. It is a grind. Curtis, why do you see – I'm not saying it's the first time you started to see a lot of college coaches look to go to the NFL, but a lot of the reasons – one of the big reasons why it's attractive for coaches in college to try to at least look at the NFL, like Thomas Brown, for instance, now at the Rams, doing a great job, awesome Ram proud of him, happy for him. It's an easier lifestyle. Like, it's still a hard job. You still got to put time in, obviously, but the – demands of the recruiting calendar and what you have to do because you're basically on call 24, seven, You're constantly texting, calling recruits. You're taking time away from your family to be able to do that. You're all on the road, visiting these guys. It never really stops. You get a couple of dead periods here and there that you can get a little bit of time to just read, but even in the dead periods, you're still contacting groups. You're still communicating with them because they can, they can contact you as much as they want. There's just certain times where you can actually contact them, but they contact you then you can you can talk to them all you want. And that's just a grind. And for older, more established coaches, it just gets less and less attractive. So I think I love the fact that we're bringing in young guys. And I know that there is the argument that, well, these guys don't experience. Like, like you said, Chris, Uzo Deribe, who is this guy? Fran Brown, who is this guy? Like there's some risk involved there, no doubt about it. They have not proven themselves in the SEC at that that kind of level, although Fran Brown's been at Baylor. We'll talk about that. He's been at Rutgers. He's been in Power 5 programs. So there's some risk there. I'm not saying there's not. There's an inherent risk there. But I'm willing to take that risk by bringing these young, hotshot, rising superstars on the recruiting front because I understand and I agree with Kirby how important it is to go out and get the best players. Curtis, we talked over and over again for two years about Cortez Hainted. You go out and get BMAC. BMAC's been an offensive coordinator. BMAC's got a, a good reputation as an offensive guy. But, Curtis, what is BMAC's specialty? What does he really bring to the table?
2: He's an ace recruiter.
0: Bingo. And that's that's always been the case. And that's why I wanted to stay on the staff when we had the transition from Kirby, from Mark to Kirby, because BMAC was that kind of guy. And I thought, honestly, there was a chance. I knew there was some tension there, but knowing the premium Kirby put on. Recruiting, I thought there's maybe a chance because that's what BMAC was was built to do. But I, I just I love it, even though there's certainly some risk. There are some of these new young guys. I love it because I think it's going to continue to keep us at the forefront of the recruiting rankings. Continue to bring in the kind of talent that we need. That you have to have in order to be able to compete at the highest levels. It's just that simple. So I'm all about it. I love the youth movement here. I mean, there might be some growing pains. I, I'm certainly trying to be realistic here. I realize that, but Overall, I think once you get past those growing pains, I think it's ultimately going to work out really, really well for us. Because as you said, I think these guys are going to be able to hopefully be here for a while before they move on, and uh, and maybe not have the immediate staff turnover because that's what you want to avoid. You don't want to have to keep replacing like all these guys year in year out. That becomes a little tiresome over over the long haul. But uh, so use a Uzo to Curtis, we talked a little bit about why it will work. How much of a risk though is it to bring in this guy? Because he, I mean, honestly. Doesn't have like an extensive resume. Graduate assistant at Colorado. Again, two years at Kansas. Last year, SMU took a job at TCU. Has never worked as a position coach at the power five level. So, how much of a risk is it bringing a guy like that?
2: You know, realistically, I don't think it's a huge risk. Um, if if he can do the job, I don't think it's a risk. And I say that because think of Glenn Schumann when he took that on field job with curb following Kirby here. That was his first ever on-field job, his first ever on-field job, was yeah. coaching the likes of Roquan Smith. I think what matters to me more than anything is just the fact that the trust. Because think about, I don't remember Dan Laning if he was primarily with the outside linebackers before he came to Georgia. Well, I think what matters more to me than anything is just the, the, the buy-in and the football IQ. I think we've seen that that's realistically what matters more than anything.
0: Yeah, Dan Lanning was actually inside linebacker's coach recruiting coordinator at Memphis before he came over to Athens. So no, he had no experience coaching outside linebackers prior to that.
2: Yeah, and that and that's what I thought when we hired him because everyone was like, "How can we trust this guy to do it?" And the fact is he, he ended up having the fo- the football IQ that's all we needed. Because Kirby, like I said, the way Kirby knows defenses and everything, he, there's not he doesn't have to know everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely 100%. And he's surrounded by a really really good as we said earlier a good core of defensive coaches. And that's one of the things that also makes me comfortable about this hire is that we didn't have – yes, we were placing the defensive coordinator. I get that. But you also have Will Muschamp, who Kirby knows very, very well. They cut their teeth together. You know, Obviously, in Athens, there was like a you know, one-year overlap there, but old-school buddies worked together on their way up through the coaching ranks at times. And so there's obviously that familiarity there. And then you've got Glenn Schumann, who is a Kirby Smart, like, protege. I mean, you can say Dan Lanning was a Kirby Smart protege to a degree, but let's be real Curtis. Glenn Schumann is the real protege, right? He's no the real protege that. right here. He's the guy, you know, when, we, when Kirby first got the job and we're trying to fill out our staff and Glenn Schumann's name popped up, you know, the story was, well, he, it's, you know, when they're doing the defensive game plan, it's Kirby, it's Nick Saban, and it's Glenn Schumann, this analyst, this off-field guy. And so the legend of Glen Schumann started to build there. And obviously he's come over to Athens and it's translated really, really well. That's the Kirby protege. So we have these guys, you have this core of a defensive staff that I think will hopefully make that transition a little bit easier for a guy that's as young and as inexperienced as Uzo Deribe is. So I, I, again, I, I understand there's some risk involved here. I'm not blind to that fact, but I, this is a risk I'm willing to take. Everything you hear about him, everything I've read about him is that this guy is an insane recruiter. He relates to players. He's very, very young, which, guys, that matters, okay? That truly does matter. Trust me. When you're trying to relate to these young guys, the older and older you get, the harder and harder it becomes. It's, the culture is just different. It's just different. So when you have a younger guy like that that can relate to and connect with these players on a different level – that is absolutely huge. So I'm very excited to see what he can do at the Power 5 level. There's no coincidence that he got a, a job at TCU before getting a job here. He's an up-and-coming guy, and I think he might be a guy that's going to really make a name for himself here in the next couple years. And, you know, I don't want to say he's going to move on quickly. I don't want that to happen. But if we keep winning at a high level and he produces on the recruiting trail like we hope that he does, like we hired him to do, I mean, this guy – We'll see what ends up happening with him. Maybe he becomes a defensive coordinator at some point. Maybe he becomes a head coach at some point. He's still really young, but we'll, we'll see. He's certainly a name on the rise. And, Curtis, that takes us to Fran Brown. So he's coming in as our defensive back coach to replace Jamila Die. Let's talk about Die here for a second, Curtis. How big of a loss was it losing him after one year coming over from West Virginia?
2: I don't think it's a huge loss. I think it is a loss, yes, because he was a good coach. I mean, he's shown that he could coach up good passes. Defenses, But the fact is, as long as you have both Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp on the same staff, I'm not going to ever say any losses too much to overcome. Because realistically, everyone was talking about all the people a day was actually getting credit with with signing because he was, I guess, the coach, position coach. Fact is, almost every one of these guys, especially in Florida with Singletary and all Singletary those people, yeah. were mentioning Will Muschamp as the reason they signed with Georgia.
0: Yeah, Singletary in particular, Muschamp was a I don't want to say primary factor, but a major factor, maybe a primary factor in his recruitment. And that doesn't mean that Adai didn't have a role. Obviously, he's the position coach. He had a role in recruiting these guys, but you just have to understand how recruiting works. There's area recruiters. There's different things that go on behind the scenes. you got to remember, Muschamp was a behind-the-scenes guy. He was an off-field coach prior to, obviously, we, we know what happened. He ends up on the field, and and he takes over now as a co a coordinator. But he was doing a lot of things behind the scenes, and recruiting was certainly one of those things. Now, he couldn't go on the road to all those guys, but he absolutely, when they're on campus and, and communicating with them, not in person, he can actually play a pretty big role in that. And that's one of the things that he was doing. He was able to build a relationship with Singletary, and that really paid dividends for us down the stretch there. But as a coach, though, Curtis, like, so we have all these young DBs, especially at cornerback. All these guys that we're trying to rely on to become big-time players, Keely Ringo hoping to take that next step. How much does it hurt their development to have to transition from a die to a new coach in one year?
2: You know, realistically, I don't know if it hurts their development that much. I mean, Ringo went from not getting any reps at all the year before to playing well, and he did it all in under a year. So I don't know if I can sit here and say that's going to, you know, the end-all be-all.
0: Yeah, again, like, I'm just, I'm not freaking out, man. Like, coordinators, sure, maybe. Well, and everything
2: you're hearing from Fran Brown, I mean, it's a huge loss.
0: I'm really pumped about Fran Brown. And let's go ahead and go there. So, Adai, yeah, look, I I respect the guy. I think he's a good coach. I mean, he got a job at Miami for a reason. He's a really good coach. I'm not going to sit here and say he's not, but I'm really excited about Fran Brown. And he's another name, Curtis, very much like Uzo Deribe, that had you heard of prior to his name popping up in this search? realistically, no. I'll be honest with you. I'd never heard of his name in my life. I, I had never seen, heard of this guy one single time. And I'm a guy who follows college football, I mean, as closely as anyone. I live for this stuff year-round. Not just Georgia football. Obviously, that's number one for me. But I am a massive college football guy. I follow this stuff as closely as you possibly can. I pride myself on doing a lot of these things. And I had never heard of Fran Brown. Maybe some of you out there had. Maybe you're better than me. I don't know. But I had never heard of this guy. So I'll ask you the same question I asked you with Uzo Deribe. Hadn't heard of this guy, brand new name coming out in this search. He ends up getting the job. What do you make of this hire?
2: I think it's actually a pretty good hire. I mean, you're looking at the guy who's already about to be making 700000 as a, a position coach at um, Rutgers. So at the Rutgers, fact yeah. is that it showed that he's already highly valued. and. I think it's a really good hire. I think it's someone who's still young enough that is still trying to make their name. You know, he's not as young as the others, but the fact is he's still hungry to try to make his name and almost make a move like Charlton Warren probably did realistically. But the fact is, I think it's a good thing.
0: Oh, I'm so excited about this. Hire. Honestly, even before we made the hire and his name popped up and obviously I see this name, I'm like, who is this guy? And just like I did with Uzo Daribe, I went like in a deep dive trying to find anything I possibly could about this guy. And everything I found about him – every new piece of information just got me more and more excited to the point that I was like, okay, this is the guy I want us to hire. You hear some more established names being thrown around, Javaris Robinson, guys like that. And I was like, no, I think this is the guy I want. Even though I know I I knew nothing about him like a week ago, this is the guy I want. And I say that, again, for most of the same reasons that I said about Uzo Deribe: it's the youth, it's the ability to recruit, it's the fact that, as you mentioned, he's hungry, he is the – Guy that can come in here and be a grinder like you have to do. That's what you need in your assistant coaches. Yes, you need guys that can coach and develop players. Obviously, you need that. But more than anything, most importantly to me, an assistant coach is a guy that is willing to absolutely grind. And that's on the recruiting trail. That's coaching up his players, improving his ability to coach them and develop them, all those things. Got that insatiable appetite to just learn and get better, that's what you need. And I think you have that. In a guy like Uzo Deribe. and I think you have that in a guy like Fran Brown as well. And just kind of go over his his uh, resume again, real quickly here. So he is a Matt Rule protege. He that's you can't discount this, Curtis, because Baylor under Matt Rule made a huge jump, and Fran Brown was the assistant head coach, not just DB coach, but the assistant head coach there at Baylor. Then obviously we well, know, and, and that's Ruhl's the one good.
2: thing that Matt Rule. Is knows his defenses. That I mean, that's his specialty.
0: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And then he goes to Temple. Once Matt Rule goes to the NFL, he goes to Temple as a co coordinator that takes a job at Rutgers as a defensive back coach. You're right, curse That's one of the reasons I wasn't sure we are going to get him. It's like he's already making like $700,000 a year right now. And maybe he just wants a chance to come to the SEC. And I know that Rutgers reportedly was trying to put together some sort of enticing package to keep him there in Piscataway. But ultimately, he just wanted a chance to kind of sharpen, sharpen his teeth in, in Athens and in, in the SEC and get that on his resume. Because look, I mean, all these coaches, they, they want to move on. They want to move up the ladder. And I think it's certainly more likely that he's going to be able to do that in a higher profile job like Georgia in the SEC than he was at Rutgers getting that experience working under a guy like Kirby Smart, again, who just put his out, his defensive coordinator, former outside linebacker coach into the power five as a head coach at Oregon, a really good school. A big Power Five program. I think you see those things you're like you know that that's pretty attractive. Sam Pittman goes from literally never been off the coordinator's life, goes from being a position coach at Georgia to the head coach at Arkansas and has had success. So that makes our job a job at Georgia attractive for assistant coaches. I think that's one of the reasons that this job was attracted to Fran Brown. I, I really truly do. So I'm I'm with you, man. Like with just like with Uzo Deribe, I like this hire. I really like this. Well, here's from, another
2: another person we're not mentioning. Greg Sciano, you know, the whole Tennessee thing happened, but the fact is that guy can coach defenses. Um, I believe he's actually a secondary coach by trait. If yeah. I'm, I'm remembering correctly, former and,
0: defensive he wanted,
2: State. and he wanted to keep him around.
0: He knows defense. I mean, they know what they're losing. Absolutely. I mean, this guy has a and, and again, I, I'm kind of embarrassed that I had never heard of this guy, but apparently he just has this sterling reputation. In the coaching ranks as just an up and coming star, a rising star in this profession. And I think we've got two of those guys. we got Uzo Deribe and Fran Brown, both very young rising stars in this profession, and we're able to grab them both in the same offseason. I, I understand there's gonna be some sort of adjustment. I get that, but I think you have to like these hires. I understand, like, you know, you'd be having questions about some sort of risk and them never doing it at this level. Fair, fine, okay. I think the upside is just so tremendous here that it outweighs any potential risk. I'm very excited about I'm excited about Fran Brown. I'm excited about Uzo Derebay as well.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S Y N ads dot com.
0: And finally, Curtis, that brings us to Matt Luke. As of right now, the last coaching change to talk about here. Now, the reports are that he's stepping down for family reasons. He just wants to spend some time with his family. His son's getting middle school age, wants to watch them play ball, those kind of things. You hear that, you know, from time to time in these coaches who are stepping down. But how much stock are you putting into that? Or was this more like a Cortez Hayden situation? where maybe he was somewhat encouraged to look elsewhere, read between the lines, like maybe I should start looking elsewhere? Um,
2: I don't know. With the, If it was the more of a Hankton situation, I think you would have seen it develop quicker. And so that's one reason I'm not sure about the Hankton situation. But the And he's that not really going
0: somewhere out. else right now. He's stepping down.
2: Exactly. I think that's a huge thing. But one thing that really I find odd that stands out to me is that not one player has tweeted about it. I know that's such a weird thing to say, but... With this day and age and social media being what it is, players, you know, usually have a lot to say when coaches leave, like wishing them nothing but the best. You know, you were great. All these things, but you're not seeing it, which is like, I mean, and from all accounts, Luke is an amazing guy. Yeah. Um. So that's the one thing that I find really interesting in this whole situation.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair to mention that. Here's what I'll say on that it's kind of like you, you you never want to be the guy who follows the legend. You want to be the guy who follows the guy who followed the guy, right? Yeah. And it's just really hard for Matt Luke to come in and be the guy that immediately follows Sam Pittman, who was a guy who was so universally beloved within our program by our players, by our staff, everyone associated with the program, but certainly the players. And he, let's be real Curtis. He recruited all those guys. And yes, Matt Luke did a great job coming in and sealing up that first class, making sure we're able to keep Roger Jones and Tate Rattledge, guys like that in this class. And that, we should we we owe him a debt of gratitude for that because I think Tate Rattledge might have a chance to be our best offensive lineman last year. He might. I had I was told that in the preseason, Tate Rattledge was our best offensive lineman coming into this year. Unfortunately, he got hurt early, very early on in the season, about as early as you could possibly get hurt in the season. So he he certainly deserves credit for that. But I, I think there might be something to what you're saying. I, I don't know. I've never heard directly that players had an issue with Matt Luke. Like you said, all I've ever heard about Matt Luke around town is that he's an incredibly nice guy. The word gentleman has been used many times when I've asked about Matt Luke and, and the people I know have been talking about him. So he's a guy that I think is, is a fantastic guy. I, I've never met him, but, again, everything I've heard, great guy. But, again, it's just when the players are so attached to their former offensive line coach and you're a different guy, even if you're a nice guy, you're a different guy, right? You're a totally different dude. You come in, you might teach them a different way. All of a sudden now, like, the competitions open back up, which might breed some sort of resentment, guys, who might have been, like, next in line. Maybe they're not next in line now. Maybe they think they're not being treated fairly. I kind of would relate to, like, a a divorce, right? Like, let's say, you know, uh, let's say a kid is – his parents get divorced, obviously – you have this attachment to your dad. Dad's awesome. You love your dad because it's your dad. He's the guy that brought you into this world, right? And then the parents are divorced. Dad moves out. And then mom gets remarried. Stepdad moves in. Stepdad, stepdad might be the nicest guy on the face of the earth. But instinctively, you're kind of skeptical because it's not dad. It's not the guy who brought me here. It's not the guy I grew up with, right? It's not the guy I came of age with, right? It wasn't the first guy. And so there's like instinctively going to be at least some sort of tension there and just some sort of skepticism on, on the part of, of the player. And I think you can say that with players. Like, you know, Sam Pittman's kind of like the, the father figure. Way. He brought them in this program, he raised them in this program. It's all they knew in this program. And then poof, he's gone instantaneously. And now you got this new guy who, by all accounts, is a great guy, but he's not dad. You know, he's he's not the old father figure. He's just not the same guy. So I think that could certainly have have played a role in, in maybe, I don't want to say tension with the, between him and some of the players. I think that's too strong. I, can, I haven't heard anything directly like that. Well, what what, what is really stands out, to out. To me, what stands out to me, though, more than anything,
2: and I mentioned this to you, is I was, have never been a fan of Matt Luke's uh, personnel decisions. Anyone that would purposefully choose to start Warren Erickson and stick with him as long as we did is a very questionable. And the reason I say that is because when the game really mattered in the national championship, you make that change. Well, why right. did it take to, till then to make right. that change?
0: And people like you and me who are not professional football coaches, and we weren't the only ones, were screaming for that change to be made, like, what, week two or three? <laughs> like I mean, we, the whole time, time we
2: knew he, as soon as it was that Tate was hurt, we're like, Warren Erickson cannot be the guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, all season long. It was, it was obvious. And that's fair, Curtis. I think that's fair. But here, and this is not a pushback, but just plain devil's advocate here. How much of that decision, like personnel wise, who's playing where really off the offensive line is exclusively Matt Luce's decision? Well, we say that, but then a lot of it,
2: from what we're hearing, and by all accounts, is well, Hankton was the one that had the big philosophy on rotating wide receivers inside and out. So if Hankton was allowed to practice that philosophy, then why can't why are we going to say that Matt Luke, who has been around longer and has done more, didn't have that autonomy
0: yeah that's true, and I, I don't know the answer. I honestly do not know the answer I really don't i just i I just you know posed that question again, playing devil's advocate like how much it was Matt Luke or was it uh just this united decision among the offensive coaching staff? Was it a consensus among them that that's what it should have been, but regardless, I agree with the principle that that was not the correct decision. Now we won the national title, sure, I mean that worked out for us, but I mean, (laughs) made a little bit harder on ourselves having Warren Erickson, God bless his soul, there at guard, which he was just unequipped to play all season long. So, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, So, I mean, so it sounds to me like you don't think Matt Luke is that big of a loss. Is that fair to say? Well, and
2: here's my my one pushback, too, or not against you, but you're talking about him recruiting. He did, you know, keep Ratledge and Broderick. But outside of Mims, I've been really under-impressed with his recruiting.
0: Well, Mims is a big one though, and that was a big dude to land. Well, yeah,
2: but I'm, but I mean, by all accounts, Mims apparently may not have been, may have been suffering some buyer's remorse with him in that situation. You know, there's yep. been rumors along that line, yep. and yep. so, but his biggest get could have also been his biggest
0: loss. I do know we had to talk Mims into sticking around this offseason. I do know that, but there's also a guy like Ernest Green's a pretty big time recruit out like of California, top fifty player. Yeah, but I'm being, but the fact is, we're getting one. But yeah, not, not as many as the Werner Pittman, fair. But Sam Pittman's the best in the business when it comes to recruiting offensive linemen, Curtis. That's a really high standard to hold a guy to.
2: Well, yeah, but I still, like, we're still putting guys in the league. We still have all this talent and say, like, we're still I'm still going to put these guys in the league. I mean, Matt Luke had Greg Little, who wasn't any, uh, someone to write home about. Um, Laramie Tunsell, he had people like that. I mean, Tunsell may have done a lot of drugs, but he still was a pretty good guy <laughs> in college, a pretty good player in college. He still, he still had a better track record than most people, and yet he could only, at best, get one a year.
0: I mean, that's fair. I I think our recruiting on the Amazon line did take a step back once Sam Pittman. Well, and realistically, was level, and also, yeah. sit, here, sit here and tell me if I'm wrong, but we still had a lot of great
2: players on roster, and yet we got no push. I mean, one of the biggest reasons Stetson Bennett was our quarterback this year is because we couldn't protect the quarterback and go to a true drop-back system.
0: Oh, yeah, we simply were not. We were good on the Amazon line. We were not dominant we were not as good we're as, not I think we and, mean, and that's not what we should have forward. been with the talent we had that should not be the case you're exactly right honestly with the guys that we stockpiled year after year after year that certainly should not be the case i i certainly agree with that all right chris i know you gotta get out of here so we're running out of time so last thing i want to ask you about the offensive line coach position we know matt luke is gone well let's look ahead here let's look forward who do you want for that position if you're kirby smart and you can go out there and you can i don't say hire anybody but who is a the realistic hire that gets you excited?
2: The problem is I really don't know anyone that like is jumping off the table at me. I mean, I love Kentucky. If we could go steal Kentucky's online coach, I'd probably be ecstatic.
0: I haven't heard him, but, him much.
2: Well, yeah, you're not going to hear him because he's so he's at home there or, yeah. you know, kind of set. but that's someone I'm talking about. Like, I just, you've heard the name will friend floated. I sure as hell hope that's not the, that's case. the one but I want to talk about. will
0: friend Okay. So, all right, We'll friend, former Georgia offensive line coach, under Mark Rick, with Mike Bobo as offense coordinator, goes to Colorado State with Bobo to be the offense coordinator. Obviously, we know how that ended. He ends up at Auburn. He's the he is the offensive line coach at Auburn right now. He's a name that's been mentioned prominently from many sources, whether it's two four seven, whether it's rivals, whatever, been mentioned prominently and, and that really actively as though he's seeking this job. If Will Friend is the hire, how do you feel about that?
2: I feel like it was a letdown. I mean, I know we want to we give Kirby his his. um uh, trust, we give him props but,
0: for how he's hired his staff, for sure. Yeah,
2: but and here's the thing. When James Coley was hired, we were kind of underwhelmed by that hire, realistically. That was one that we were like, is this really the best at what we have? Because he had also crashed and failed. And that's right. kind of how I feel with Will Friend. And why is it going to be any different this time around?
0: Well, I think Will Friend is – I I will agree with you. I think if Will Friend is the name that ultimately ends up getting the job, I will be underwhelmed. I think it's an underwhelming hire. I think Georgia can do better than that friend though, I will say, I don't think it would be a complete disaster of a hire. He is a good, solid offensive line coach. He is not a dynamic recruiter. He's not one of those young guys that doesn't go out there like Uzo Deribe and Fran Brown and just burn the recruiting trail up. That's not what he's ever done. Now, I will say our program is healthier than it ever has been and was healthier, is healthier now than it was when he was here. He has a bigger brand to work with. He has Kirby Smart that's also recruiting as well. So I think maybe he would I think he would probably be a better recruiter here than he was in his first tenure in Athens, but that doesn't mean that he would be an elite recruiter like i think we need him to be because that's what we want to do if we want to compete with national titles we gotta have the best player so i think he's a good solid coach he's proven that he's experienced but i think there are better options out there and i i wouldn't bash the decision i would just be underwhelmed i'll say that what about brent key it's the offensive line coach at tech that's a name you. i would rather mentioned. have him than
2: will friend honestly
0: I think he's a better recruiter. He spent time at Alabama, so there's that connection sh- there. But like Curtis, he's a Tech alum. Does he leave Tech to come to Georgia?
2: Seen crazier things. I mean, right now realistically, let's be honest, Tech is a sinking ship. Players out of there That's left to right. How yeah. long how much longer can you say you have a job? And then is it harder to get yeah. a job once you've been fired or your whole staff's been fired? Yeah.
0: That's the thing. Absolutely. Like tech staff, like barring a miraculous recovery this year, they're all going to be fired. Um, I think there's a strong possibility. I think that's the likelihood right now. So I think it might be attractive if he's a name that's mentioned. And I I just heard his name thrown out there. I don't know how serious that is. I would be more excited. I'd be more excited about him than I would Will Friend, but that still wouldn't like really energize me. I think we can, I'd be happy with, I'd be okay with that, but I think we can do even better than that. But as you were alluding to, Curtis, when I first posed this question, the, the question becomes, who is that guy? Who is that guy that really energizes you? And I don't know if, I, I'm kind of like you, I don't know if I have a firm answer. I'm really intrigued by a guy named Alex Atkins, who is the offensive line coach at Florida State, now the offensive coordinator. I don't think that's realistic. It was a name that was thrown around when the when the job first officially like publicly came open. Although it was a very open secret, apparently in the college football coaching ranks, but I would be very intrigued by him. The Florida State offensive line has been basically abysmal for about a decade now, for a long, long time. But he's only been there a couple of years. I think he's going into his third year at Florida State now. He's been elevated to the offense coordinator. So I, I really don't think that's a strong possibility or a likelihood because he already has that offensive coordinator title at Florida State, and he's not going to get that here. At least I don't see. I don't foresee that happening. So I have a hard time believing he's going to make that jump without the title, and I just I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, how would a guy like Del McGee feel if you hire this guy as offensive line coach and you go ahead and give him the, the co-OC coordinator, coordinator title or, or whatever with Todd Munkin? There, there's no way that's going to happen. I don't see that happening whatsoever. So I don't think that's really a name that's realistic, but I would be intrigued by a guy like that. Here's another name, Curtis. Nick Jones, right? Former Georgia offensive lineman in the mid-2000s. I think he's like 36 years old now. It kind of fits that young mold that Kirby seems to be going with. He's a Rams offensive assistant coach right now, so just ended up winning a Super Bowl, helping the Rams win a Super Bowl. He's in the NFL right now, but he doesn't have like an official on-field position that he's coaching right now. I think he was just like the offensive assistant, whatever that actually means. He coached with the Falcons in 2020 as a diversity coaching fellow. Very similar to Uzo Daribe, but he also does have some college coaching experience in his background. He was actually a, a grad assistant here, an offensive grad assistant back, I think it was 2010-2011. He was a tight ends coach. I think also the tackles coach, offensive tackles coach at Coastal Carolina for like five or six years. Uh, I believe he was at Air Force for a year or so at Colorado State. As the tight ends coach, so there is that connection of Bobo there. Also, as a player here in Athens, when Mike Bobo was here on staff as a coach, so there's a connection there. So, I don't think that's completely outside the realm of possibility. I don't know if it's a likelihood or how likely it might be. I don't know, but it's a name that I have heard mentioned. I think is pretty intriguing. And I would actually be really energized if he was the higher. Because again, I think he fits the mold of what we're looking for a young guy that can relate to players. He's hungry out there to make a name for himself can be a grinder on the recruiting trail, has experience coaching at the college level, not on the SEC, but he's played the SEC. He was an offensive graduate assistant here. He understands that, has some connections to the staff, obviously to the program. So I would be really energized by that hire. And then another guy, just to throw out there, has slight connections to Georgia, is the Arkansas offensive line coach, a guy named Cody Kennedy. He's also a young guy. He was a grad assistant here in 2018 but the thing there is you have to imagine he's got a, a strong degree of loyalty to Sam Pittman so I have to feel like that'd be a tough guy to pull back to Athens, but certainly not impossible. I mean, no one honestly thought we were going to be able to pull Sam Pittman from Arkansas back when Kirby first got the job, and we actually pulled him from Arkansas. Remember how crazy Brett Bieleman went over that, and the offensive lineman showed up at Pittman's house try to convince him to stay? Like, no one thought that was going to happen, and we were able to pull it off. So maybe we do it to Arkansas again, I don't know, but I think that would be a really strong hire. Arkansas, I believe, led the SEC in rushing yards per game last year. So I would be very, very open to a name like that. I think that would be an energizing name. Another young guy who's out to to make a name for himself. He's hungry, can be a good recruiter, all those kind of things. So to me, guys like Alex Atkins, Nick Jones, Cody Kennedy would be more exciting and more energizing to me and kind of fit what Kirby's looking for more so than a guy like Will Friend or Brent Key. But we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, honestly, the the word is like the strongest name you hear is Will Friend. That, that's the name you hear most commonly and there seems to be a lot of smoke around that. I know he's actively pursuing the job, and there's always connections with Bobo. He worked here before, so that's probably the most likely name. Again, I'd be, I guess, fine-ish, okay with that, but it certainly would not be the hire that, that I would go with if I had the choice. But I trust Kirby. That's the thing. I trust Kirby. I'm not saying he's bad at 1,000, like I said earlier, but he nails far more than, than he misses, so... I'm going to trust Kirby give him the benefit of the doubt and we'll just have to see how it plays out and when that hire is officially made we'll come back on here and certainly discuss it on the show but all right guys that does it for stay today here on the Glory UGA podcast I apologize we tried I tried to keep this as short as we could so we can maybe get to part two of our 2022 recruiting class deep dive here in the back half of the show but that just didn't happen and Curtis has got to get out of here So we will just move that back to early next week. That's coming, guys. I promise you. We're not going to forget about that. I already put the work into that episode, so we're definitely going to record it. We've just been getting a lot of questions about the coaching staff departures and additions, and we just want to touch on that more topical stuff today, and we'll just uh, get through recruiting stuff next week. But thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Just a couple of reminders out there. We got... Quite a bit going on in Athens this summer. The men's tennis team is actually going to open their outdoor season against Mercer at home on Saturday. I believe that's at 1 o'clock. The baseball team is home all weekend against Akron. The weather has been really nice in Athens, as I know it has in most parts of Georgia. Early this week, it was a little rainy day, but it picked back up. Uh, I think Friday is going to be pretty nice in the high 60s, low 70s. Uh, Saturday might be slightly chilly, but still should be a nice day. Sunday might be a little rainy but come on up to Athens, check out the tennis match, check out the baseball games if you get a chance. The Lady Dogs are also at home this weekend, taking on Texas A&M on Sunday at 2 o'clock. And as I mentioned on our first episode this week, we have the UGA Lacrosse Club team with a couple home games this weekend. We're playing Clemson at 6.30 on Friday, Alabama. On Saturday at 3 p.m. at the Georgia Club Sports Complex. And if, complex, and if you're not sure where that is, it's just, it's just a little f- out on South Millage. It's 2435 South Millage. Trying to get a big crowd for those games. So if you're into lacrosse, you have kids that are into lacrosse, I know it's a, it's a sport that's growing rapidly throughout the country. Come on out and check that out. Heck, just make it a weekend in Athens. The Classic City is hard to beat, man. I love it here. So come on up, bring the family, and enjoy a fantastic weekend in the Classic City. But all right, guys, we're going to get out of here. Thank you for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go
1: Dogs!